Uh, Brian. Yeah. Flexible. You said compatible. Dang it. <laughs> That's what I get for reading off the script and not properly uh, making the proper changes. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes Podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand, and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bytes in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about the flexibility of services offered by cloud providers. I'm Brian Knudsen, cloud technologist for ILAN, and will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes perspectives from all sides of the cloud. Let's start with having each of our panelists quickly introduce themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about being flexible in the cloud. My name is Mark Crawford. I work for NJVC as a systems engineer. I've been the St. Louis VMUG leader for about five years. I've been specializing in VMware technology for about 15 years. And for the past two years, I've been working in the AWS GovCloud in my uh, primary role at NJVC. So when I think about flexibility in the cloud, I think about making sure that the cloud provider that you choose has the services that you need and that you can configure those services that you'll be able to meet the needs of your business. Will Urban, Technical Product Marketing Manager at iLand. Been here doing uh, cloud-based backup, DR, and infrastructure service for a while. When I think about flexibility in the cloud, it really comes down to making sure that somebody chooses a cloud that can meet their needs and can quickly adapt to whatever they're trying to do and change. Eric Wright, I'm the technology evangelist at Turbonomic, cloud provocateur, perhaps one of the also early VMUG leaders and longtime VMware fans. So I'm always interested in how the transition for people is moving from traditional, the way they do things to the way they need to do things. Flexibility is going to be really about the fact that, hey, cloud's way more flexible than you'll ever need it to be. The question is, are you actually ready to consume the cloud? I'm also a podcaster by night at discopossepodcast.com. Thank you all for joining me. One of the main reasons for using the cloud is the wider variety of options than most organizations can provide on premises, like what Eric just said. This level of flexibility allows customers to get what they need out of the cloud and can often be a differentiator between providers. Flexibility can also allow customers to take small steps into the cloud and grow as they need to. However, the flexibility provided is about more than just the computer resources, hosting applications and data. So Mark, how important is flexibility around legal agreements, billing options like being able to choose between a pay-as-you-go, reservation-based pricing, or some combination of those two, additional services like support and managed services, and all the other non-technical aspects that a cloud service could provide? Yeah, so I think this question is, uh, has many answers. I think we really need to break this down. So for me, the flexibility around legal agreements, I think that's something that needs to be flexible, but you definitely have to negotiate and define that up front before you get yourself all moved in the cloud. You don't want something to come up and then figure out that you haven't defined that and then try to renegotiate that or whatever. But it's something I think that definitely needs to be flexible in the beginning when you're working with that cloud provider. As far as billing, that definitely needs to be flexible. 
but I think that's more of a process with your finance management, that type of people. Because I think at least from when I was initially first getting into cloud, a lot of people still had that CapEx mindset and they were not thinking about burst billing and all that type of thing. Even though we talked with it about them and that type of thing, they still had that CapEx mindset. So I think the flexibility has to be talked about with everybody and and make sure everybody understands how it works and is comfortable with it. Same thing with services. Really, you need to clearly define with your cloud provider what your end goals are and make sure all the services that they provide can meet your needs. And if, if they can't, see if they're flexible about providing different type of services or if there's something different they can do to meet those requirements that you have. Well, sorry, Mark, you brought up a great point of as you move into the cloud, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the challenges of the business and billing aspect versus the technical, whereas one team may be way more excited than the other about getting into the cloud and what led you to like, oh, wow, we just blew up our bill or we didn't understand the service because given that you've gone there and you've seen it happen, how do you find the split between the business value aspect and those people versus the nerds like us who are just like, hey, this is really cool. I got all these great services I can use. Yeah. So the majority of my cloud experience is in the AWS Glove Cloud. And so it wasn't one of those experiences where we chose to go to the AWS GovCloud. It was sort of mandated <laughs> by the government. And so we've done a lot of lift and shifting. Initially, we did. And so when they first started getting those bills, they were shocked at how large those bills were. And so I didn't think that they quite understood how much lifting and shifting was happening. And so after probably about six months or so, of lifting and shifting, they said, we need to slow down and rethink about how we're moving stuff to the cloud. So I think that initially there was very little planning financially or anything about how the move to the cloud was going to happen. I think going to the cloud is like going to veganism. It seems like a great idea for the first couple of months until you can't sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, going to a mandated cloud like the GovCloud or something that's definitely regulated, do you find that you lose a lot of flexibility because it's sort of already positioned as these are the things you are going to do versus these are the things that we offer? Yeah, because one of the things that probably a lot of people don't realize is the AWS GovCloud does not have all the services that the AWS commercial cloud has. And so a lot of times people will be working on a certain project and if they're not used to AWS GovCloud, they'll be like, oh, we can use this service and this service and this service to get this done. And then you're like, you raise your hand, you say, well, AWS GovCloud doesn't have those services. So We have to re-architecture and think about how we're going to do things. So it can be really frustrating a lot of times when you want to do something in GovCloud because they don't have a lot of the services as commercial cloud. Yeah, that's that's an interesting footnote on some of the, particularly the larger clouds that may have subsets of their infrastructure that may not offer all services. I mean, even with iLand, you know, we've got a global network of 10 different data centers. Not every single service that we offer is available in every single data center. Now, most of them have every service we offer, but it's something that, you know, we as a, as a sales team 
need to be aware of when they're selling to our customers about, well, if we put you in this particular data center, we can get you an IaaS perspective of things, but we may not necessarily be able to give you the, the object storage in the same data center. And that could go into how we would architect for a customer. Anything else to add there, Mark? No, no, I, I definitely agree because um, we have three different classifications of AWS GovCloud and each of them are completely different. So even though we can architect on one classification level, when we go to those different other classification levels, we have to rethink about it and re-architect it. So it can be very frustrating sometimes. For sure about. So I want to kind of build off of one of the things that you mentioned is that, you know, one of the horror stories that I know I've heard a lot of is businesses going to the cloud and then getting hit with that giant bill. Mark, you mentioned that's something that you guys have encountered in the past. But that's definitely a big part of the flexibility story is you can start small, only pay for what you use, and then you can grow over time. But, you know, a lot of the companies that went into the cloud early on, particularly in that lift and shift model, got burnt by those high bills and they grew uncontrollably and ended up with thousands and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of bills. So, Will, I'm interested from your perspective, how can customers use that dual-edged sword of flexibility to protect themselves without actually hurting themselves? Yeah, and that's a really good question. And I feel that the flexibility from both a pricing but also a sizing really comes into play for, you know, a lot of times we say agility and all that stuff. But one of the key components of cloud is the ability to try something. And then, you know, there's this whole idea of, you know, fail fast, move on, right? So instead of traditionally architecting this giant pod that's going to sit on your data center and then buying all this gear and then installing it and rack and stack and, you know, all this stuff and then finding out that the application that you thought was going to solve all your problems just falls on its face and now you're millions of dollars into this hardware, cloud lets you basically just swipe a credit card and say, all right, let's spin up this VM or let's spin up this V app or whatever and try this technology out. And so that flexibility is awesome, but I think we're still seeing kind of the bad habits of us old VMware guys where, you know, we may spin up 30 or 40 of them and we may do some trials for 30, 60, 90 days, and then we never really clean up our bad stuff, right? So we're leveraging the scalability and how fast we can spin stuff up and we're trying new things, but we're really not taking advantage of things like price over time or consumption over time models or reporting on how much you're consuming or even just things like setting alerts for once you surpass a certain threshold, like we're not going to let you upload any more VMs or we're not going to, you know, to Mark's point, we're not going to let you do any more lift and shift because you've exceeded some sort of threshold that you set. So I think the flexibility is great, but I think we have a lot of those old problems where we just expect the hardware to be there. And now that the hardware is pretty much infinite, you just keep adding and adding and adding. And administrators used to think VMware bloat was bad. Cloud bloat is even worse because you can give all of your developers access and pretty soon you have hundreds of copies of different things. So I think a lot of it comes to paying better attention to how you're utilizing it, understanding that, yes, you can scale and grow. And that's what makes it appealing. But if you don't put either sort of limiters on there or reporting or metrics or some level of chargeback or showback, then you quickly can find that your bills are kind of blown out of the sky. And then the other thing around that is understanding how the cloud provider itself handles that. Some cloud providers are very much, you know, click a button and add more storage. 
But if you delete everything, you don't get to reclaim that and lower your bill, right? So you have to understand how the cloud provider is also provisioning that, whether it's the burst and reserve and all that stuff. You know, if you sign a contract and you say, I want 100x, and then you scale it to 200x for a quarter, and then you're like, oh, cool, I'm done with this. I don't want it anymore. Make sure you can go back down to 100x or you may have a misunderstanding of your contract. So I think that the agility is really important. It allows you to test all kinds of new technologies and you know fail fast and succeed fast and all that cool stuff. But bad habits will get you into trouble and not leveraging things like reporting or metrics or historical data or even predictive analysis can really bite you in the behind when it comes to those building cycles. Well, I think this brings up a good point, Will, and the idea that the flexibility also lives in how you learn to use these services and measure your own success of adoption. Is successful adoption also repatriating hardware into other development areas and like reusing the stuff you already own and making sure that you're not living on both sides for too long? And also, you know, being flexible with the way that your pattern of consumption goes relative to billing. And look, I'm in the business of cloud optimization and data center optimization. So I, I literally see this stuff every day. And it's tough because I think that's, you know, and Mark talked about it, you move a whole bunch of stuff there and it's great. It's there. But like, holy heck, I just got the bill and it was the same as last month, but bigger. And it's going to keep coming. And so then it becomes like, are you ready? Are you ready for cloud? for everything. And that's why some stuff just patently doesn't belong there. Yeah. And I actually, this is a question for Mark, you know, how much planning ahead of time did you guys have to spend? You mentioned you did a lot of lifting and shifting, and we all know that you give a database guy 24 gigs of RAM, he's going to use it. You give him 48 gigs of RAM, he's going to use it. So how much kind of ahead of time planning did you have to do and say, we don't really need two terabytes of disk on this particular machine. We don't really need 18 cores. We don't really need 24 gigs. Because if I just lift and shift that, of course, my bill is going to be astronomical. So how did that kind of play into you know some of the stuff I just talked about with starting small and growing, but also just the ability to just consume whatever we give you? Yeah, there really wasn't any planning. The initial thought was just to whatever resources they had on site currently to give them those same resources in the cloud, which made me cringe all the time, but I didn't have a lot of say-so in, in what actually happened. So I think a lot of it had to do with the contractors who were working on the particular contract. They wanted to make sure that there was no interruption in service. So they were willing to just get it out there and make sure it was working. So that's what the initial thought was. Yeah, moving too fast sometimes can be more dangerous than stretching out the time to value, I guess. Um, you know, in a lot of ways we're focused, and this was true on premises, is let's get this up and running as quick as possible and move stuff to it so we can realize the benefits of it while we're, you know, the meter's running. There's no point sitting in, in the cab, you know, on the side of the road, just racking up charges and not actually making any progress anywhere. And I think it goes back to your point earlier, Mark, about being able to plan things like the legal ahead of time to make sure that it is exactly what you need. It's the classic statement of, you know, measure twice, cut once. Yeah, I can remember last year, I think it was, I don't remember what time frame was, but there was a big Azure outage. A couple of Azure data centers were down and I heard a lot of people talking about SLAs, but it's not something you, when you sign up for Azure service, you don't get to negotiate your SLA with those big cloud providers. It's something that you have to architecture uh, your environment so that you can make sure if a data center goes down that your environment is still up and going. 
Yeah, know what you're getting yourself into. Cool. So on that note, Eric, I'd kind of like to hear what you think about how cloud providers provide that level of flexibility. So all these different things that we've talked about, and more importantly, what could be improved to make it a better experience for customers? Yeah, that's a great question. The flexibility is always interesting. There's this feigned flexibility. And, and I remember it was a couple of years ago, Andy Jassy's his keynote on stage, markedly different from the year before where they talked about lock-in and everybody was like all about lock-in. And then he says like, hey, we have no legal lock-in for you. And I was like, whoa, hang on a second. You put the word legal in there. That's very different. <laughs> Their flexibility was very much like, look, you can, and he said it even in part of the keynote, you can move everything out of AWS today the moment you bring it in. If you leave it there for three years, you can still take it out. So they were very strong on the legal lock-in, like you are not legally bound to keep your stuff there. So that was interesting. So flexibility, great. They've opened that up and they put a lot of wrappers around it. And Mark talked about like SLAs. An SLA just means that that service went down and broke its SLA. So you're going to get a discount of X percent on that service for that period of time that it was unavailable. Now, your poor architect who was suddenly designing to you know, move these platforms into their day-to-day -day operations may not have realized the impact that an SLA doesn't mean availability. It means billing availability. So what we need to get better at, I think, in cloud provider lands is enabling people to consume patterns of architecture based on what's there and be honest up front about what it costs to do so. And I think it's this thing like, look, I can put a database out there and I can put it in as an EC2 instance and that's it. It will live and I'll back it up and I can restore from a backup. Or I can put it in as a RDS. Or, you know, I put it in as RDS and I say global availability. Well, the difference is one can be run on a T1 micro. So it'll cost you like 11 bucks a month. If you do the same data, so let's just say like 14 kilobytes of data in your database, but it's set for global availability across AWS, it's going to cost you $700 a month. So that's not apparent until you get the $700 bill. And I think the cloud providers, I think of a responsibility in like just being very, make it easier to get why the first part's going to be hard, but then it can change moving to serverless RDS and move to understanding how to do dynamic scaling and stuff like that. It's just, there's a lack of information. And this is why people get, we talk about bill shock and all these things. So I, that's my opinion is I think the cloud providers, they've got too much, like they can just say, well, where else are you going to go? You know, like Mark <laughs> says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I have no choice. I have to go to GovCloud. You know, you can't just pick it up and move it around because creating the network spaces to attach it to the Azure version of GovCloud, you do, can't just connect those two things together. It's not easy. So they know like AWS is like, you know, don't at me, you know, your whole GovCloud region just went down. <laughs> Life sucks. How's that SLA working out for you? <laughs> so Eric, can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah. So Eric, when you think about flexibility beyond some of the things that we've already talked about, 
What do you think is the responsibility of a cloud vendor when it comes to things like, you know, supporting 19 different hypervisors versus focusing on two or supporting everything from IBM legacy and mainframe to Kubernetes to everything else? So where does the benefit of flexibility kind of become such a burden to either the customer or to the cloud provider that they end up just not being good at anything? Yeah, that's a great question. You think about what you do, right? Island has a way more vested interest in the holding on to a customer and that customer relationship. And I think AWS has gone a long way. And I, I don't mean to pick on AWS, but like I'll call it out because I know specific cases, right? Where they're like, same thing. It's just like, hey, you know, we just deprecated a hypervisor or a particular version of Python or Ruby in one of our Lambda environment, you know, don't at me. So you have no choice. You're just like, okay, I hope I'm ready to move at the speed of cloud. But they also have learned to sell to an enterprise. They have to maybe deprecate more slowly. I think they are learning that there is a responsibility to the enterprise consumer. And that's not just to the consumer, but to the lifetime value of that consumer, right? Is they have to do more and they are beginning to do a lot more. They're bringing account managers and they're doing more stuff with tossing in free services and they're doing more with education. So I think it's starting to shift, but definitely it took a while because they realized that like, hey, everyone's going to the cloud. You know, Gartner says it, IDC says it, Forrester says it, Pete says it, everybody says it. But then what happens when they don't move fast enough? Welcome AWS Outposts, right? You can't move to the cloud fast enough. We'll bring the cloud to you. And also why AWS and VMware partner together. Like I got bad news. Partnering with AWS is generally not in the interest of the partner. It's in the interest of AWS. So when I saw Pat Gelsinger on stage with Andy Jassy, it reminded me of come closer to the bars, Clarice. Like this is really, you are, are close to bringing your customers right in front of all these other flexible, amazing services that you can't offer on-premises. So the time ticker began on, you know, can we do the same thing with VMware, with, you know, Microsoft on-prem infrastructure, stuff like that. So anyways, that was a long way around just the fact that they have learned and they are definitely getting better, but they still are pretty good at just telling you, you're not moving fast enough, kid. That's it. We're moving and we're leaving you behind. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, like you said, that's that's definitely a place where Island is trying to differentiate is by having that, you know, more narrow focus. We may not have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different offerings that AWS has, but at least we know that we're going to provide the best we can in this one area that we are in so that with with a strong customer focus so that customers know they're going to get taken care of as individuals rather than, hey, we just deprecated this particular version of Veeam, if you will, and tough luck if you're using that version. We don't do that. And the, the thing that you bring up, Brian, is so important for customers. Like, why have we learned all these hard lessons is because it's on the back of customer experience. And mm -hmm. what I really tire of amongst the sort of cloud pundits, you know, me being amongst them sometimes is that there's the feeling like obviously AWS owns the earth, right? Like they kind of won that race. So it's just a matter of it's like a war. No one wins a war. You just one side loses more slowly. 
So, you know, <laughs> we're going to have Microsoft come in and they're going to, they're clearly the second place on the podium uh, fighting for first. And then you've got the third place, which by most measures would actually be Alibaba based on number of workloads, but it's because of where they're located that we are, we're North American. So we're not allowed to talk about the strength of Alibaba. We have to talk about whether it's <laughs> IBM or whether it's Oracle or, or whatever it is. So everybody's talking about the podium, but guess what? There are hundreds of other options who are doing really financially well and providing amazing service to their customers. iLand is going to be in the top 10 providers, but just because they're not number one, two, and three doesn't mean we stop talking about them. And I think like your customer growth will show because the better you are to your customers, the faster they'll realize that yeah, AWS is a great, they're like lawyers. Everybody kind of needs them but you'd rather work with somebody that you're not sort of legally bound to stand beside. <laughs> that was an epic analogy right there. <laughs> so Mark, I want to pull you in on this conversation a little bit. Mark, as you guys have focused primarily on GovCloud, have you looked at other clouds and potentially even ones that are more narrowly focused that may provide a specific offering that maybe AWS doesn't provide? Yeah, so we have looked at other clouds, and really the only other one that we've looked at was Azure, mainly because it's obviously uh, number two or number one, depending on how you look at it. So, But it also really had the other services that we were looking for. We really didn't look at any other smaller ones that were more specific to just exact things that we were looking for. We mainly just focused on uh, looking at Azure because we had already had a lot of experience with AWS. So we thought we'd give Azure a try and, and see how that worked out for us. Yeah, so definitely looking to have a broader range of skills and knowing knowing what you could do in the other clouds, I think is probably an important lesson in that, if nothing else. I agree. Well, And I think just to tag on, Mark, you really hit an important point. It does what you need it to do. You can look elsewhere, but... Just because one has like a thousand services and one has 992 services, well, if I use 17 services, it's not important to me as a customer. And that's why the race to bigness isn't necessarily the race that's going to matter to a customer. It matters to the longevity of, of market share and shareholders. But I choose my personal cloud based on like, does it do what I need it to do? And it connect with the things that matter to me. Whammo, and I'll use whatever matches that. And and if it's AWS today, so be it. And if it's Azure tomorrow, so be it. If it's you know I've got stuff in Island, I've got stuff in Rackspace, I've got stuff in other places, and it does exactly what I need it to do. That's all that I care about. It's crazy how fast AWS is yeah. pumping out services. You you have even no idea what they're pumping out sometimes. I don't know that anybody has a concept of everything that they're pumping out. <laughs> no, that's it. It's just, it's just this like fire hose of releases. And at some point you're like, stop, stop. I don't need to know. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, with that great conversation, guys, it's very clear that flexibility is obviously a really good thing. I don't think anyone came into this expecting to debate otherwise, but sometimes that flexibility needs to be considered up front. When you're investigating, when you're negotiating, because things like legal and billing agreements can become inflexible once the technology is turned on, you may not be able to have flexibility after that fact. And this oftentimes does lead to the billing shocks because you don't properly consider the size of what's going in there. And 
even if us in IT are considering it, the business may not be fully informed as to what that's really going to look like in the end. As you look and investigate those different clouds, you know, subsets of larger clouds may not have the same flexibility. So be careful of where you're going in. If you have to go to a special subset for security, legal reasons, or just geographic regions, make sure that you're looking for the proper flexibility in those areas. A key ability with the cloud is to to be able to try things, to have those minimal long-term commitments, which is going to require a change in the mindset that we traditional on-premises folks, you know, we're used to set and forget, we're used to create whatever we want because, hey, we already own it, we might as well use it. That can be really dangerous in the public cloud. So it's key to set alerts, uh, set limits, watch those metrics, make sure you understand what's going on and simply know how the providers are going to model those costs so that you can turn things off, you can stop those costs from occurring in the first place. And know that the more flexibility that an offering has actually could snap back on people and lead to actual less focus on some of the most important things that you may be looking for in a cloud. And ironically, in some other places, less flexibility could happen, especially when you look at things like SLA negotiation. You know, that if I'm huge, I'm not going to negotiate SLAs with anybody except for the very largest companies. And finally, I really want to finish on this thought that, that you gave, Eric, which is, you know, you got to find the cloud that does what you need today, possibly considering what you need tomorrow and all the other bells and whistles that come along with it from a flexibility or capability perspective are really just nice to have. They're things to consider. And if you could potentially use those in the future, if you could see how they would fit into your architecture, maybe it's something to consider. But if it's outweighed by some other major things that that cloud doesn't have, it's not going to be enough to overcome that. So really focus on what you need today and make sure that it's going to provide what you need. Thank you, Mark, Will, and Eric for a great conversation. Also, thanks to iLand for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information on this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. And if you found this content useful, we'd really appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the CloudBytes podcast. All right, guys. Well, it was a pleasure. I got to go pick up my kiddo from the bus in the snow. So this will be fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Red groundhog was a liar.